Good afternoon. Happy Friday. It's a sunny Friday. The Jays are rolling. This is Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy with you for the next two hours heading into a Jays series against the Los Angeles Angels. Mike Trout here. Shohei Otani here. The Toronto Blue Jays. Winners of seven of their last eight now. Consecutive extra inning wins at Fenway. Take six out of seven on a seven-game road trip against the Yankees and the Red Sox. You pick any year in the history of the Blue Jays, you'll take a road trip like that. They're now, by the way, this was one of the concerns people had earlier in the season. They're now above 500 on the road. There aren't a lot of teams in the American League that can say that. It's not the most news-breaking thing in the world. It's not the most important thing when you break down the standings. But there are only six teams in the American League with an above 500 record on the road. So good to take care of business there. Good to take care of business against weaker parts of the schedule. The Jays now 34-12 and against sub-500 teams. Pretty good. Schedule continues to be friendly-ish. The Los Angeles Angels are here for three. And while they do have two of the greatest baseball players of all time, they're also 52 and 73. They've lost six in a row. Of course, they're the Angels. When aren't they losing? Uh, Before we turn the page and look ahead to the Angels series, though, a lot to go through from last night. Pretty chaotic game. It's 5-5 after six innings. And the first six innings weren't without drama on their own. It's why this game was 32 hours long. That and certain Boston Red Sox relievers uh, taking their damn time between pitches. So it's 5-5 after six. Anthony Bass comes in fresh off of a tremendous borderline game-saving performance tonight prior. Gets himself out of two jams over one inning in the seventh. In the eighth, Jays get two on with one out. Can't get anything in. Vlad and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. both ground out. Bottom of the eighth, Reese McGuire leads off with what was generously scored a triple. Then Adam Simber hits a batter in between strikeouts. Tim Meza has to come in with runners on the corners and get the final out. So we go to the ninth. Bobachette singles and steals. Alejandro Kirk draws a walk. It's two on, two out. Biggio flies out. Bottom of the ninth, even more drama. Jordan Romano comes in, allows a single, allows a double that doesn't score the run, intentionally walks the bases loaded. Bases loaded, nobody out. No team in baseball this year had gotten out of a bases loaded, zero out jam in the ninth inning or later. It had only happened three times in Blue Jays history. It had only happened an average of 1.7 times per year over the last 20 years. Getting out of a bases loaded, nobody out jam in the ninth inning or later. Jordan Romano gets a strikeout. And then Jordan Romano gets a double play that has, at this point in the game, the Red Sox broadcast just exasperated. On one, here comes. And a shot. Chapman will pick it up. Steps on the back. Toronto does. How is that possible? 
You've seen it all. Wow. I mean, that is impossible. A double play. I can't believe that. We're going to extra innings again. 5-5 five, five at Fenway. <laughs> so they go to extra innings after all of that. Danny Jansen grounds out to lead it off, but some nice base running from Kevin Biggio. Even though it's a G6, he gets over to third base. And then George Springer grounds one to short as well. Bogarts goes home with it. Kevin Biggio beats the throw with a tremendous slide after having gotten a really good break on contact. Um, Kevin Biggio has not played a big role lately, but when you do stuff like that and you have that level of heads-up base running on top of the heads-up defensive play he had a little earlier where uh, he had Vlad's back after Vlad missed the scoop on a ball. Um, really good couple of moments for Biggio in that one, including the go-ahead slide. Romano comes back up for a second inning. Three up, three down. Jordan Romano, at this point, leads all relievers in baseball in leverage index, which is a way of quantifying how important is the situation you're pitching in. How dire a game are you coming into? How dire is each plate appearance as you're going through it? Number one, no one has been in a higher leverage spot more often than Jordan Romano. He's fifth among all relievers in win probability added, which is, hey, what were your chances of winning before he came in? What were your chances of winning after? And he has a 157 ERA since the last time the Blue Jays played the Angels and he had to be used three days in a row. He was pretty fatigued at that point. He has had some three-plus out saves. He has had some multi-inning outings. He has pitched in back-to-back days. He's now had a multi-inning outing on the second day of pitching back-to-back. The Jays seem to have found a groove here with the right mix of rest and work for Jordan Romano. And he's firing on all cylinders lately. So a really good one for the Jays. They sweep the Sox. They've won seven of eight. They now they still have a three-and-a-half game cushion on Baltimore, who are the last team out, and they're starting to get some separation in the race. Baltimore is hanging around two-and-a-half games out of a spot and three-and-a-half behind Toronto. Everyone else is at least six back of the Jays at this point. Minnesota's lost a million games in a row. The White Sox can't get out of their own way. The Red Sox are obviously uh, in a bad way. This isn't officially this, but it feels like it's getting close to just a four-team race for those three spots. And as we'll talk to Meg Rowley of Fangraphs about later, uh, the Orioles might be showing some signs that they're drifting off. We're also going to talk to Riley Breckenridge later. He's a drummer in Thrice, one of my favorite bands, and a huge Angels fan. Also does some baseball content on the side of his music stuff. Uh, Has a baseball fashion brand as well. We're going to talk to John Gibbons a little later. We got Gibby at 3.30, so that'll be a lot of fun. He's now on Twitter and uh, sharing his thoughts on all sorts of Jay stuff. But right now, he is on the call with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network this weekend. Former Blue Jay catcher, former Seattle Mariner catcher, former Baltimore Oriole catcher, Caleb Joseph, you are a Tampa Bay Rays stint away from being in a no-lose position in this wildcard race. Well, I'll tell you, what a great road trip um, the Blue Jays are coming off of, right? And just uh, not when it looked bleak, but there were some real questions raised, right? After the last road trip, Minnesota, Baltimore, et cetera, 
And then they go into New York and Boston, arguably two of the toughest places to win on the road in the league, and they do very well. So very exciting times. They're on a heater, and now it's just about staying in that heater and extending it and see how long they can uh, they can keep it going. So they run into a New York Yankees team that's struggling a little bit. They run into a Boston Red Sox team that is maybe getting ready to shut it down for the year, uh, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. And now they're running into another team that, and a couple ahead that are sub 500 teams that haven't been super competitive. What have you seen from the Jays during this last eight game stretch or so that makes you confident they will continue to, you know, kind of keep the foot on the gas against their last easier stretch of schedule. Yeah. I love the addition of Ross Stripling first and foremost, for some reason, I think he just stabilizes that staff. Um, in a season where Manoa has been so good on the whole, where Gosman has really been good on the whole. Uh, we obviously know Brios has kind of been up and down. He's been good as of the last couple. Uh, but it took kind of a raw stripling coming back and, and moving Kikuchi to the bullpen and, and allowing Mitch White to kind of stay in the rotation. It, it is, uh, he's st- Oh, we appear to have lost Caleb Joseph. We'll try to get Caleb uh, back. But to his point about stripling, um, stabilizing the rotation. Kevin Gosman gives up four runs over five innings last night. And that's the first start that the Jays have gotten from someone in eight games or so that you wouldn't say is a good start. And I don't think Gosman was bad. He had six strikeouts and no walks. He, as he always does, got babbipped to death, which if, uh, is basically misfortune on balls in play. Uh, Pitchers maybe have a little bit of control over that, but Kevin Gosman right now, the last time a pitcher finished a season with 125 innings pitched or more and a batting average on balls in play as high as Kevin Gosman's was 1894. That's a long, long, long time ago. Everyone who has ever had a batting average on balls in play anywhere close to that had an ERA of at least four. Um, we have Caleb Joseph back now. Um, Caleb, I was just talking about how off your point about Ross Stripling stabilizing the rotation that Kevin Gosman giving up four over five was not a bad start given how he pitched. But man, that poor guy continues to get just the worst luck on balls in play imaginable. How, how do you pick a guy up like that when it seems like every ball's dropping in? score eight runs in the first (laughs) inning. (laughs) And for some reason that seems to zap that type of luck. Um, And you know what, when he, when he goes out there, he expects to go deep. He expects to, to keep his team in the game. And he did not go deep yesterday, but he kept his team in the game. And there was a point where had it not been for the Reese McGuire kind of base running blunder, you have to think that they might've really put the game into a position where it might've been out of reach, but he found a way to stay in there hang in there. And uh, look, there was some talk about the the shifting early on when he kind of first started the season. And that split is just such a unique pitch, right? It's so different. It doesn't move the same every time. It's hard to get real statistical analysis on it because it, it just does so many different things so often that it's hard to know that the outcome of a lot of guys swings. And so a lot of split guys, they are the byproduct of some weird luck because of the way the ball is hitting the barrel at certain angles, the way they're having to attack it differently because of the uh, inconsistent movement of the pitch, all these type of things. 
Um, but at the end of the day, more times than not, they're in the right spot. And more times than not, they're whiffing on that pitch anyway. So it's just uh, maybe he needs to go watch Bull Durham, go get a, a, <laughs> a chicken or something and sacrifice chicken. But he, he'll be okay. He's fine. I'm just uh, glad that he kept him in the game long enough to, to let the offense swing back around. You mentioned Stripling uh, before we lost you there for a second. Um, Gosman last night picked up in a big way by the bullpen. Uh, they'll turn to Mitch White tonight. Uh, three starts into his Jays career. What have you seen from Mitch White? What, what are your initial impressions of him? Yeah, he has pitchability, right? Um, mm-hmm. he, he, in terms of the way he's able to move different quadrants, I like the fastball. I think it plays up. Uh, we heard that when he came over that, you're not going to see these 97, 98s, but you're going to see a pitch that gets a lot of whiff at the top of the zone. I think he uses that really well, like the, the little slider cutter thing he throws. It looks really tight. He's able to play that off of the fastball. I, 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 I do think that he could really incorporate kind of that slower curveball even more. I like that pitch. I like the way that it would tunnel off that up fastball. I like the the separation it, it, it could potentially have with the fastball in terms of miles per hour, but he has shown pitchability. And when you have a smart catcher back there that knows the opponent, that knows the weaknesses, knows how to get a pitcher through a game and a pitcher that can execute his locations, you take a guy like Mitch White and what he presents stuff-wise, you can, you can navigate those type of uh, teams very easily. So I like the addition, kind of a sneaky good move. In, in the same way that Bass has kind of been a really sneaky good move. Um, doesn't really grab the headlines, but he has been uh, very important for the club, that in Mitch White, and uh, hopefully he can do it again tonight. Yeah, and Bass, I mean, it was sneaky for a little bit, not after the last two games. He's coming through in big <laughs> spots. And um, with Mitch White, I, I was actually, I was talking to Ross Stripling on the show yesterday, and I asked Stripling about how he has been able to throw the change up more to righties because of the emergence of his sinker. Um Mm-hmm. Mitch White has toyed with a sinker. We haven't seen him throw the changeup against a righty at all this year. Uh, but is that something you look for longer term with him? Like, do you, do you want him toying with that kind of mid-season? Or is that a get in the lab in the off-season and work on figuring that pitch combination out? It's, it's probably something in the off-season. Coming to a new team, uh, learning a lot of new protocols, if you will, is, is a lot. Especially for a player that doesn't have a ton of experience. Um, I, I do love that pitch with what he features. I think he could present something very similar to a Ross Stripling in terms of just having a a pitch two seam or sinker, whatever you want to call it, that that runs in on the righties. That he can tunnel the change up off of that. It's just such a great combo, and we're seeing how well that's working for Stripling. And what it does is it it allows you not to have to throw it. 98 miles an hour you let the movement play you you crowd him on the inner half then mitch can throw that slider away he can go up with the fastball just having pitch ability in terms of being able to throw multiple pitches in different zones believe it or not it still works you don't have to have the uh high octane every single time does it help absolutely but if you have a smart catcher and have a pitcher that can move the ball around you can you can do well and so yeah i would love to see that type of uh usage or emergence it would probably be better done in the uh, in the in the off season especially considering jays are coming down the stretch here and uh they're in a good spot so he's in a good spot i, I love the idea i think it's something to consider um maybe he tinkers with it but 
I wouldn't be surprised if you see that busted out in spring training next year. We're speaking to Caleb Joseph, uh, former major league catcher, who's on the call with Ben Wagner for this series on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Uh, Caleb, you mentioned, you know, if you have a good catcher who knows your stuff and can read swings behind the plate, we don't know yet who will be behind the plate tonight, but we have seen that workload the share of that workload tilt a little bit lately because George Springer's been taking up all the DH days. Um, so Alejandro Kirk has been catching a little bit more. Danny Jansen's been called on a little bit less. And then Jansen comes through with a huge homer yesterday. Uh, I have some catching-related questions mm-hmm. for you, but first I have to ask you, um, Danny Jansen promised a sick kid that he would hit a home run yesterday and hit one. Uh, have you ever promised... Uh, a kid a home run or put any kind of stakes like that on your plate appearances oh i wish man i i only hit 35 in the big leagues and uh man they were few and far between <laughs> if i if i would be able to do that i would have been paying a kid a hundred dollars to show up and puke all over my jersey and then tell him I'll, I'll hit a homer for him but no that's a really cool story i didn't know that and uh goodness i might show up with a, a flu bug tonight and go ask danny for a, for an autograph and a homer <laughs> Yeah, Pat Tabler shared uh, the details of that story on the Fan Morning Show this morning. So if anyone missed it, that's an hour three of that podcast uh, on the Fan Morning Show feed. Uh, Caleb, uh, with Danny Jansen, though, he's played significantly less the last little bit, an average of about once every three days. When you're in that spot and and you kind of go from being a split-time catcher to a backup catcher, is it harder to stay locked in at the plate or behind the plate? Uh, right next to it at the plate by far. Um, and, and, and this is the biggest thing for catchers just in general, because most every catcher that makes it to the big leagues, they're, they're, they are starting when they're in, in the minor leagues, they're playing a hundred to 115, maybe even 120 games behind the plate. And then say you get called up and, and you might go into a backup position and you've never been in that position. Cause even if you go back, that player was probably a, a starter in college, even high school, and et cetera, et cetera. So this goes kind of the same reasoning with all kinds of, of, of bench players, really, is it's so hard to replicate and emulate game speed. You can get on the machine. You can hit 100 miles an hour off the machine. It's just tough. And I spent an entire career trying to figure out how to, how to hit the ball, uh, playing once or three you know, once every three days, once every four days, it is just so difficult, which is why I think when he's back there, if he can really produce good results with that pitcher on any given night, he can block the ball the way he does. Excellent blocker of the ball, calls a great game, catches the ball well, throws runners out. Those are constants that you can control. You know, the old saying, defense never slumps. And it's it's even more true um, behind the plate because you have more ample – you have ample time to prepare – these guys know when they're going to play, and he's got ample time to prepare for that that game. Uh, scouting purpose-wise, he can really formulate a game plan, start talking to the pitcher a couple of days ahead, and uh, that's why you're not seeing his defense suffer at all. But, look, it is really tough to hit. So when you're playing every day, you can get into that groove. You can stay in it. You can kind of tinker with some things here and there. When you're only up there once every three or four days, you're trying to keep it as simple as possible, see ball, hit ball, and sometimes just – squaring the ball up is a victory even if it goes 30 feet foul or 30 feet straight up in the air it's that hard to do so uh just be patient with danny you know his his offense and uh just look for him to continue to to contribute on defense caleb you're on the call all weekend uh shohei otani are you more excited to 
to watch him up close hitting or pitching? Uh, I would probably say hitting just because last year I was in Seattle and he hit, I, I think it was like a 450 foot Homer for anybody listening that has been to that park in Seattle. He hit it to right field off of the glass wall or whatever the, the box suites up there in right field. And I had never seen anything like it before and the power that this guy has, but just seeing him in person is something else. People don't realize how huge he is. He's an absolute monster. I mean, he's every bit of like six, four, and there's those guys that, that are six, four, but they look like they're six, eight. He's one of those guys. And, uh, Honestly, if he threw more fastballs, I'd want to watch him pitch, but he throws too many sliders for me. So <laughs> I want to see him hit. I want to see him hit a 470 foot Homer actually three days from now in some other city, um, <laughs> not against the Blue Jays, but I think watching him hit's pretty cool. Caleb Joseph, uh, looking forward to your call, whether he hits uh, a home run or, or is just on the man. We'll, we'll have a look at the lineups in a little bit here, um, but hope you have a blast calling the games. Uh, looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, thanks for hanging in there with me. Thanks for calling me back. Appreciate it. And no problem. Uh, Caleb Joseph of Sportsnet on the call all weekend with Ben Wagner on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I mentioned the story of Danny Jansen hitting a home run for a sick kid yesterday. Rather than paraphrase that myself, let's go to a clip of Pat Tabler this is him talking to Ailish Forfar and Brent Gunning on the Fan Morning Show this morning, um, going into a little bit more detail about what that was last night and just how special it was. Get a, get a tissue handy. Here's Pat Tabler sharing that story this morning. But it was Buck Martinez. He got a hold of me the other day, and he's part of the uh, bat assistant program. And he said, there's going to be a boy who's, who's coming to the game. He's a cancer, a survivor. He's had some 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 brain cancer. I, I'm not sure if it's in remission, but he's been battling that. And he's a young boy, maybe six or seven years old. And he came to spring training a couple years ago through the bat assistance. Buck sits on the board there and Buck met him and he brought him down and he met all the Blue Jay kid uh, players. And he came to the game last night and Buck asked me to bring some of the players over to meet him because he's a huge Blue Jay fan. Now they're from North Carolina. And Danny came over and um, I, I introduced him to him, and Danny talked to him, and, and the little boy wears glasses. He goes, hey, I like your glasses. Do you like my glasses? Uh, mine are pretty cool. And then at the end, Danny said, you know what, uh, Camden, I'm going to hit a home run for you. He said, would you like that? Would, would you like that home run? And he said, yes. And he hit a home run, and my heart just went crazy in the booth. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Baseball just has a way of doing that. And I – I, I, it's like Babe Ruth when he said he was going to hit a home run for a young kid. He said, I'll hit a home run for you tonight. And when that thing left the ballpark, man, I was just like, I was almost in tears in the um, up in the booth. And Danny said, I'm going to point to you. And, and he was sitting behind the dugout. And I, I'm not sure if he did or not. But it was a, a great moment, and I'm sure that picked that kid up. And, and all the guys were great. George Springer came over, and Kevin Bishio, and Jordan Romano. Gavin gave him a bat and the kid's eyes lit up. I mean, that's something he'll remember the rest of his life. It was, it was a great day down on the field before the game. And then when Danny hit that home run, that was just the cherry on top. That was Pat Tabler uh, 
sharing the story of Dady Jensen hitting that home run yesterday uh, with the Fan Morning Show. If you want to hear that full interview, you can check out their podcast feed, the Fan Morning Show. That was in hour three. On top of that being a very good, very chaotic game, that is a super, super cool moment. I know that, you know, wins and losses, and, and there are a lot of things that will happen in a guy's career that they'll remember forever. Have to imagine that's going to be right up there for Danny Jansen. Let's take a break. Let's uh, let's do a complete 180 with the energy. That was very nice and very touching. Um, this next one's going to be very nice, but a lot lighter, a lot more fun. Next on Jays Talk Plus, former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons joins us. That's next on Sports at 590 The Fan. More Leafs, more Raptors, more Blue Jays. The Fan Morning Show with J.D., Blake, and Alish. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, I'm Blake Murphy. Speaking of Texas, we got a chance to sit down with John Gibbons. He's now on Twitter at John Gibbons 5 He's got a new podcast coming out soon called The Gibby Show. He told us he has a book coming out in the spring. He's Blue Jays Twitter's favorite account these days, uh, John Gibbons, the former manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, two times. Got the chance to talk to him yesterday. Uh, this is a pre-taped interview. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Gibby's always a blast, but to get him this generous with his time and to sit down and have a, a full-length conversation, that stick around to the end gets into some wrestling brain stuff. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It's a perfect Friday interview. Uh, here's our discussion with former Blue Jays manager John Gibbons. Joined now by John Gibbons, former Major League Manager, and now on Twitter at John Gibbons 5 You can find him on Memo as well. Podcast coming soon. Uh, Gibby, welcome to the world of Twitter. <laughs> hey, it's a little intimidating, I would tell you that, especially for an old man. But I'm getting the hang of it a little bit. That's, That's why it always helps to have some young kids, you know, I guess. Yeah, it seems that way. Uh, what what kind of convinced you to do it? What led to, led to this? Well, hey, that's a great question. Well, you know what? Uh, my final few days there, 2018, before I got cut loose, I, uh, when everybody knew I was leaving, a couple of the writers, real good, you know, successful writers in town, and they covered our team, said, hey, if you ever write a book, I want, I, I want to write it. And I thought, nobody's going to read my book. And I wasn't, <laughs> I said, I'm probably not even me. I wouldn't even read it. Anyway, so, uh, you know, one thing led to another, and then, uh, uh, I contacted a couple of people and they, they want to write a book. So I got a work, a book in progress going to come out next spring. And then, uh, they wanted to, you wanted to start a podcast and everybody's doing it. And they said, let's have a little fun with it. So anyway, to make a, to, to keep them dragging the story out too long, they, the guys put it all together. said, you got to have a, uh, a following. I said, I want a following. I said, if people know who I am, would that help? He goes, yeah, but you know, if you're going to get any sponsors for this, they got to see the proof in the pudding or whatever. So they said, you got to get on social media. I said, all right, all right, whatever. I was on Facebook years ago, but that's about it. So <laughs> we cranked it up and that's, uh, that's kind of how it wasn't, it wasn't like I was sitting there dying, having a midlife crisis and got, I got to get, I got to get back to the world or anything. It just, uh, it was at a necessity, I guess we'll find out. 
<laughs> uh, well, looking forward to it. Can, can you tell us anything about the podcast? They're still top secret for now. No, it's going to be the, well, it's going to be the Gibby show. It's going to come out in the next uh, two or three weeks, hopefully. And uh, yeah, she's going to be talking baseball. Me and uh, my partner, John Rizzi is an old friend from way back. He's been involved in baseball and a lot of things. And uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to run with it. I'm going to, you know, uh, I have some insight on the game. Uh, and I'm not going to throw like all statistics at you. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to tell you how I, how it really works. I think, some, you know, some people throw a lot of BS out there and say, this is how the game works. This is what goes on behind the scenes. And uh, I'm just going to make sure that uh, everybody's accurate. Put it that way. Yeah. I like that. And my show, you know, leans on stats a little bit. Cause I'm not down there in the dugout and it's there. I always find those things are great compliments for each other. It's not, the, the wrong stat stuff is the this is the way it is, and this is what the numbers say we should do. The real truth is kind of somewhere, you know, it's it's good information, but yeah, the guys who have been through it and are down there, um, how, how much, like, what was that like during your managerial career? As Because over your two stints, it was kind of the explosion of all of this data and information. Uh, what was that process like for you? Well, hey to, hey, to begin with, though, but, hey, uh, yeah, when I, when I say it's not going to be all, all stats, stats, stats are very important in the game. Stats don't lie, you know. But there's there is a human element too. But stats have been involved in baseball for forever. You know, back when I when, when I was starting out in the minor leagues, you know, you looked at uh, you know the different things. It just hasn't been taken to this level, you know. And they figured some things some things out, some things that have been really good, some stuff that may be overkill a little bit, but. Uh, you, you, you need it. There's, there's no doubt about it. And that kind of came along with, uh, you know, the general manager that I, I worked under, J.P. Richardi. You know, he came from the Money Moneyball group out there in, in uh, Oakland. He was an old, old uh, uh, minor league roommate of mine. And yeah, so there's a little bit of that, a little bit of that, you know. Uh, but they always told me, hey, run, run the game how you see fit. We talked about things, strategies, or what have you. And then Alex Anthopoulos, the second guy, you know, Alex was, uh, you know, the analytics was coming on a little, little stronger. And Alex was into it, uh, but he still had that balance, and he still trusted me to do things uh, the way I thought was right. And uh, but so we, we but you know we, we blended that also. And then you know when he left, and uh, Ross Atkins came in, and, and you know, they really started pushing it that direction because it was taking over the game more, right? Mm-hmm. But they they still they still were very fair with me and let me uh, you know run the game as I saw fit. And the 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 best thing about it is. You know, and I always learned this from Paul Beeston. You know, he, people, he hired Alex. He, Alex hired me to do a job, right? We're going to be responsible for the job we do. And, and uh, so they're not going to micromanage and look over your shoulder, but you'll be held accountable, right? And we got all, we'll, we'll give you all the information you need, all the information you want. We expect results. That's kind of how, how it works. And that's really the way it ought to be, right? Um, so, but it's, uh, you know, I've kind of, I've been kind of been uh, labeled anti-analytics, which is so far from the truth. You know, I, I don't take it necessarily to the extremes and some might, um, but you, you, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't uh, isolate yourself. I mean, that, I don't, that, that's just as stupid as anything else. And, uh, but you need to use it all, use it all, but don't forget these guys are, are human beings. They have emotions. They, uh, some nights are really good. Some nights it's their night and you gotta let them roll it. Uh, but I think that's you know the beauty of the game, Blake, is is there's so many different ways to do things, and that's why fans love it, right? Uh, and one of the big things is looking at statistics, uh, and, and a lot of times it's, it's going to give you a pretty good outcome. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that, John, and thanks for sharing that perspective. And you know, one of the 
One of the things I think of sometimes is, you know, you mentioned people are human. It's a very long season. And I'm curious, when you look at a stretch, I, I know you've been keeping up with the Blue Jays. I, I've seen a lot of your, your first tweets kind of being about uh, the Jays and interacting with that fan base and the media from here. Um, the Jays are in the middle of a playoff push, and they're in a stretch of maybe 20 days where they're against lesser competition. And one of the areas I'm not sure we can capture with stats, and, and I'm curious as to how you would manage through a stretch like this is how do you keep guys locked in and focused over 162, but particularly when you're hitting a stretch of lighter competition, you, you got to make sure guys don't take their, their feet off the gas. Um, what's it like to navigate that? Yeah, that's, you know, that can, uh, that can, that can be a little tricky at times. You know, you go into, you, you might play, like you said, one of those, uh, a team that's, struggling and you, you figure you're going to go in there and you know it's it's going to be easy pickings but it's not because you know it's still major league baseball and on any given night you know if you say the whoever the team you're, you're facing has pitching if he's good and he's on you know it's going to be a tough night probably you know and uh so it's not like in some of the other sports maybe you can just physically you can just go overpower overpower other teams you know, uh, baseball is just too much skill involved, you know. Um, but what I, th- I think where they're at now, you know, there's, there's uh, I don't know how many games are left, but there's not a whole lot. They're, they're feeling it. They're feeling it right now. And, you know, so I, I, I have a hard time believing they're going to, they're, they'll, they'll get lax in any of the game, remaining games, you know. And, and Schneider, and Schneider will keep an eye on that, I'm sure. But you do, you, uh, you know, but so, and I'm going to tell you the truth too. So much depends on the makeup of your club, you know, uh, you know, you when you when you have the the vet, a lot of veterans that are gamers and have been through the rigors of and been to the playoffs, you know guys like let's say like a, a George Springer, right? Uh, they make all the difference in the world. They, they've been there, done that, and and the the guys that haven't been there, and especially the younger guys, they can lean on those guys. But everybody in baseball is not necessarily focused on that's the number one goal. You know, a lot of guys are chasing the dollar and the individual stats. It's sad to say, but that's a, I mean, it's kind of human nature in a lot of ways. But so if you got, if you got the right combo of guys that are, you know, and, and if, you know what usually a lot of times happens to guys get to the big leagues right now. They want, they want to make it in the big leagues. They want to establish themselves and stick around. So they, 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 they just focus so much heavily on themselves doing this, doing enough to keep, uh, stay around. Once guys get established, then really it turns all all it is about winning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what else? I'm I'm here to stay. I'm making a lot of money. I can't make any more money. It's all about winning, and um, so generally it, teams are different, though. Some you mm-hmm. some you have to motivate a little bit harder than others. Some just they you know what they got the right kind of leaders that uh, hey they they don't let anybody slack off. But they they should be feeling it right now. You know they are. And, you know it's, it's I think a beautiful thing about baseball now is you know the you know the added extra wild cards and I think it's wonderful the game for the game you know you look in the American League there and you know three teams are what separated by half game maybe um for those three spots that couldn't be any better I, I can remember back in the 80s when I when I played that uh, you know the, the if you're in the division the division leader ran off with the thing like when I was with the Mets it's like you know the, the rest of the teams are just finishing out the string and the fan base you know they lose interest you know so I think that's been a wonderful thing for the game. Do you like the uh, the new, more balanced schedule that's coming as well? We we saw that come out earlier this week. You won't play your own division as much. A little bit more interleague play. Uh, are you a fan of, of that change as well? Yeah, Blake. You know, I've been saying that for for years now, and, and part of it's because I was in the American League East for 
you know, my whole career, basically. And there, there's no question, the American, AL East is the toughest division in baseball. Always has been, probably always will be, because, you know, it's got the Yankees and the Red Sox, the big uh, uh, the big spenders. And even in, in Toronto, is a large market, and they're shelling it out now, too. And, you know, of course, Tampa's doing their thing, what, what <laughs> have you. But every year, those it's the toughest division, and, it, and, and it's proven. That doesn't mean they, they always win the World Series, but, the, the five teams or 16, whatever in each division, you know, it, it's, uh, it's tough. And I, I would complain all the time saying, well, you know, if, uh, especially when you had, when you had the wild card going, if you, if you got to play two of the top teams record wise, financial wise, whatever it is, all the resources in the world, 18, 19 times, whatever it is, you know, it's not that it's unfair, but you know, it's, if you, if you want a true read on who the wild card team is, like that, it's got to be a balanced schedule, right? Everybody's got to play everybody or at least closer than 18 or 19 times a year. It's like, because you can take a beat in that way, you know, but, <laughs> but the old argument was, well, the teams in the American league East, they love the Yankees and Red Sox coming to town because they, they generated more money. Right. So I'm thinking, well, I thought this was all about winning. Well, you know, it's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's a slippery slope. Yeah, well, the Yankees but and Red Sox. Are... I think that's the way it ought to be. Yeah. The only way you're going to get a true read is have a more balanced schedule. Yeah, I'm with you on that, especially with the extra wild card spots. And, you know, the Yankees and Red right. Sox might sell some tickets, but winning also sells tickets. So if you get a few more W's, uh, maybe that helps just as much. Um, John, so. Oh, yeah, more than anything. <laughs> uh, and you were here in Toronto for, for a couple of those big ones, 2015, 2016, it seems from your Twitter so far that you still keep a pretty good eye on, on the team and the market and, and some of your former players. Uh, you miss us here or what? what? What do you miss about Toronto most these days? Oh, man, I, I really miss that place. I miss all of Canada. You know, what the, <laughs> you know what? You know, I had two stints there, right? You know, the first one, I don't think anybody really knew me, and it did. And uh, J.P. Richardi was a GM, and he kind of, you know, he he pissed some people off along the way, <laughs> and and I was tied with him, and and the, uh, you know, we were and we weren't very good, right? And they thought I was some country bumpkin, uh, some hick from Texas, and uh, and I actually <laughs> am, and maybe I, uh, but to, the second go round, I think uh, I put myself out there a little bit more to get to know people, and um, you know, things like that, and so. You know, it was a totally different relationship. But the number one thing is when the team starts winning ball games, everybody loves everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the big driving factor, the number number one thing. And so, you know, and, and you know, as the manager of, of the team, you're on you're on TV every day. Everybody knows who you are. But I can remember it's funny the first go round, I'd be walking down the streets. You know, a team wasn't very good, and you know, people kind of look at me and they look away. You know, they, well, they felt bad for me, or they didn't. Whatever, but then when we started winning, everybody, everybody looks at you, everybody smiles. I think, yeah, this is what it's all about. So the point is, if you win, and people, are, hey, Blake, people always told me when I was there as a coach, and then when I started managing, listen, if this team is relevant at the end, end of August, September, and they have a shot, this place will explode, right? But until then, you know, they uh, they're tired of being fooled, right? And sure enough, that's what happened in '15 at that trade deadline. And it, and everything people told me happened in 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 and more, and it was incredible. And uh, you know the, the 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 city and the whole country caught fire, and it was uh, it was unbelievable to be a part of. And then you know, of course, all good things come to an end. Uh, but that's what kind of sports town it is, you know. I mean, the first team to ever draw four million, right? Yeah. Back when the dome came. So what does that tell you? You yeah. know. So, but they, but like you said a minute ago, really the the number one. Uh, 
number one thing, if you win, you know what? You're going to be in good shape. I got to ask, John, uh, one of the figures of that 2015-2016 team uh, might have offered to fly you out here for his start next week. Marcus Stroman <laughs> coming to town with the Cubs. I think he's lined up to potentially start Tuesday. Are you going to take him up on his offer? Well, hey, hey listen, it's funny. You know, it's, I love Stro. You know, we 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 got along great, and he did. Um, you know, he did some wonderful things for the team. You know, he's a big game guy. Remember that year he bounced. Everybody thought that his year was over, and he came back in the year after that knee surgery. But so anyway, so I'm getting on this Twitter. I'm thinking, well, you know, I need. I mean, to the mom, I might as well contact some of the old boys. So I uh, I fired him off a, a tweet or something, and he blocked me. Right? <laughs> I'm thinking that that sucker. So anyway, so I sent him, sent him a text because I got his number, and, and I said, "What the heck?" And the, obviously, he said, "You know, he thought no way in heck I'm going to be on Twitter." <laughs> uh, oh, know, so he thought it was a fake. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I said, "Let's go." And then he, <laughs> then, then he said, "Oh man!" But anyway, I had, you know, I knew he was with the Cubs, and, and I was looking over, you know, some schedules, and I saw they were coming to Toronto, and I looked up, and I think he scheduled a pick, pitch on that Tuesday, and I'm not sure if he. He came to town with the Mets and pitched with them at all, or anything, or maybe you guys weren't even playing back in Toronto when he was there. But I thought, you know, this is cool. So it's coming back. So I fired that out there because he's always been one of my favorites, you know. And uh, and sure enough, he responded after. I, think, I guess he felt bad. Said, "Hey, I'll pay for your ticket and your all your expenses." <laughs> but no, I'm not. I'm not coming up. There. I got to get out and scout with the Braves. I got to go check out some of our minor league guys. But I'll be checking that box score. Yeah, I don't think he has been back here because it was, uh, you know, mid twenty nineteen, and then the Jays just got back here late last year. So I don't think he, I don't think he has been. So that's uh, that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, you can check the box yeah. score out. A, a couple other guys who were here when you were here who are still around: uh, Mesa, Jansen, Guriel, Teoscar Hernandez. I wanted to ask you about Teoscar Hernandez in particular because he's a guy that when you were here. It was a lot of potential, potential, potential. And now we see him as kind of a fully fledged middle of the order guy. Did you see this coming for Teoscar? Did you think you had, he had this level in him? Well, Blake, I, I, I'll tell you this, you know, uh, he had more raw power than anybody I've ever seen. I mean, the, the, he could hit that ball farther. I mean, it's so easily. I mean, it was like, I'm, you know, you sit there and you just, wow. You know I mean? It, uh, I mean, that, that's rare. And you, and you knew, you know, but he, being a big power hitter, he had some holes and he had some things he needed to work on. Like, like all guys try to establish themselves, you know. Even, I mean, you look back, you look at Batista was a late bloomer. You look at Encarnacion was a late bloomer. I mean, they didn't, they didn't come in their own until they got to Toronto. Uh, Donaldson didn't figure it out until he'd been around a while, finally out in Oakland. So that's kind of, a, uh, you know, that's not necessarily unheard of. Very, there's very few Vladdy Guerreros, right, <laughs> uh, that, that take it take it day one by storm and even Bichette, you know I mean? that, I mean, that's not that easy to do, but, but so you knew it was in there with Teo and he struggled a little bit at the beginning defensively. I think maybe he was worried about his hitting and all that stuff, but, but, you know, just, you keep throwing him out there day after day and year after year, you know what? And now it's all come together for him. And he, uh, he he's a force. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean he's going to hit a home run every time he's, he's going to strike out in some key situations, but you know, he's very dangerous. The other team knows where he's at. Now, I'm going to tell you something. They don't come any better than that guy either. You know, I mean, he's a first class dude. He's, he's kind of guy you root for, you know? So, uh, but yeah, and then you dropped, you said Mays and Timmy, Timmy was just coming into his own, you know, he's, he's getting his feet wet and he's going through his ups and downs, but you knew, you know what? I mean, he's got the arm. 
it's just it's just a matter of time. Uh, you know, so who else was there? Well, Brownie Brownie was there, but he got shipped <laughs> out to, to Milwaukee. He's doing he's doing pretty darn good. But uh, and Jansen uh, uh, behind the plate, you know. Uh, yeah, so there's some. Uh, and even Romano, man, is turning one of the better closers in the game. You know, he he was around. He's he's done a heck of a job. You know, uh, so it's it's I, you always root for those guys. And you know, I got to see Bichette and uh, Vladdy a little bit in spring training. They come over and play for us, and uh, uh, it's fun to watch because they got a good young team. They should be good for a long while. I mean, uh, uh, really, the, the sky's the limit. They they have they have everything they need. You know, it's just uh, but it's never easy to win. You know, even look at Gossman, right? Mm-hmm. I said, when I was when I was there, he was he was in Baltimore. You know, he was the fair haired boy, and you could see he had everything he needed, but he just didn't get over the hump right away. And then look what look what happened. You know, over time, patience, whatever it is, he figured some things out. Now you know, you know, he's one of the elite guys. That's the way that's the way the game normally works. You know, like I said, they. I mean, everybody sees a guy like Vladdy Jr. and think that's the way it's supposed to be. No, that doesn't. That, that's very rare. The, the the course of Teos and the Batistas, no, that's kind of the normal way. Yeah, it seems it's hard to remember sometimes that you know we get these we get these very fun superstars come up and, and succeed right away, but that's not the norm. Uh, John Gibbons at John Gibbons zero five. I have to ask you one more before I let you go. Is it yeah. is it true that you're a bit of a pro wrestling fan? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I love wrestling. You know, I used to watch it every Saturday night. I'd come home when I was in, uh, you know, high school and, and, and I'd, I'd take my date home early on Saturday night and go, <laughs> go watch her wrestling. Like my, uh, my dad and his good buddy took, uh, me and my brother to see, uh, uh, a world championship match. It was, it was Wahoo McDaniels versus, uh, Dory Funk Jr. Oh yeah. Here in, uh, was, it was down in, I think this was in Houston. Yeah. Uh, so that's where that's that's where I got kind of indoctrinated, and then I remember Ernie Ladd, and I'm thinking, dang, him and Wahoo played in the NFL, I believe, and uh, and then it, then it really then it really became a show, you know, with uh, the Hulk and all that, and you can't help but love it. And my sister was obsessed with it, right? And so I hear it all the time, and it's like I, I'm not I'm not that big a fan, but was, I was always been fascinated with it. You know, I still don't know if whether it's real or not. You know, <laughs> uh, well, I won't spoil that for you. And another, you know, one no. of the. One of the greatest when I was uh, watching when I was younger, Stone Cold, who's a, a Texas guy as well. So yes. uh, lots of uh, yes. lots of history down in Texas as well. Uh, John Gibbons, thanks so much for taking the time hey, out. Hey, Blake, let me, hey, Blake, yeah. real quick. Now, the guy who can do the podcast with me, oh, yeah. John Arizzi, old, old buddy of mine, he was in professional wrestling, and he, he's got a podcast out on wrestling too, and uh, you know, he's also managed some uh, pretty good singers here in Nashville. He's had kind of a, kind of a crazy, wild career. But I, actually, in, he used to write for uh, a magazine. I, guess, I saw some pictures in there fighting Dusty Rhodes, and, and du- he, he like he said he he he, uh, he slipped on a punch and he hit he actually hit Dusty pretty good. And he said Dusty wailed on it, man. <laughs> and he, anyways, so but he's got all this memorabilia and he sells stuff on it. You know, it's uh, but his name's John Rizzi. He's going to be my partner on the podcast. So, so I guess we might have to talk some. Wrestling too, I guess. Yeah, that's that's. I know he's got his own wrestling podcast too to to talk about it on. But uh, yeah, if you ever need someone who could do baseball and wrestling, you you give me a call back. I'll return the favor, John. 
All right, but hey, you know we might have to get Alex Manoa in there. He might, he, he may, he big dude. He might get in that ring too. Yeah, and I know he's a big UFC guy, so uh, we'll, we'll, uh, not okay. a not a far step over. We'll see if Garrett Cole uh, gets mad at him again. If we can get something going. Hey, well, if, he, if, if Garrett Cole's smart, he won't. Put it that way. <laughs> uh, all right, Gibby. Anyway, uh, Blake. All right. Yeah. John Gibbons, John Gibbons 05 on Twitter now, the Gibby Show podcast coming soon and, and a book coming out in the spring. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. That was John Gibbons. Uh, fun chat. Fun chat for a Friday. I thought about breaking it to him about when he said he didn't know if wrestling's real or not still, but uh, we'll let that one go for another day. Only one way to find out. Get get in there, Gibby. Manage someone. I could see Gibby being a manager. Be all right. He could he could be Manoa's mouthpiece. Be all right. Not that Manoa would need one. Um, that was a fun chat. A couple questions in the text line. Quickly before we take a break, we're going to talk to Riley Breckenridge of Thrice and of the classic clothing brand uh, after this. He's also or was the co-host of Productive Outs podcast when that podcast was uh, still kicking. Former baseball writer on the side as well. Um, someone, oh, uh, Rick, Ian, and Markham, I guess, uh, asks what was more impressive, Babe Ruth calling his home run or Danny Jansen telling a young cancer survivor he's going to hit him a home run. Uh, Danny Jansen by a mile because Babe Ruth hit a lot of home runs. Danny Jansen does not hit a lot of home runs. I mean, he's a fine power hitter, but he's not Babe Ruth. So a way tougher, way tougher shot to call um someone who didn't sign theirs says you couldn't pick a better day or a better pitching matchup for the 30th anniversary world series celebration tomorrow there may never be a better chance uh to sell otani on being a blue jay i love it uh when we come back we're going to talk to an angels fan we're going to talk to a guy who knows that team very very well and we're going to see if riley breckenridge of thrice and of productive outs thinks an angel sale makes it more or less likely that we can continue every time we have Drew Fairservice on the show talking about Shohei Otani to the Blue Jays trades. Uh, Riley Breckenridge next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, I'm Blake Murphy. That is a very tasty riff from the new botch track. Let's see how this next guest feels about it. See how he feels about the Angels being for sale. See how he feels about Shohei Otani against Alec Manoa. It's the drummer of Thrice and Less Art. It's the proprietor of Classic Grit, formerly of Productive Outs and The Score. Riley Breckenridge, how are you, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I love that bump music. Yeah, how how great a track after 20 years for them to uh, come back and just do it like that. Uh, it's so good. I, I'm totally unexpected, and my expectations were through the roof, obviously, because <laughs> it's Botch, and it's my favorite hardcore band ever, um, and they totally delivered. It makes me want more. 
I would have to imagine more is coming. If, if they're putting out one track, why not, uh, why not give us, you know, 10 of them, 12 of them, put in an album. Uh, looking <laughs> forward to that. <laughs> Riley, um, in a, I, I know most people know you through your music with Thrice and Less Art and, and Puig Destroyer. But you've also had this kind of baseball fandom alongside your music career, um, you know, productive outs, the score, et cetera. Um, what's it been like to kind of be able to use the success on the music side to, to fuel the baseball passion too? It's been awesome. I mean, it's um, afforded me a lot of connections that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, I've befriended some big leaguers and um, met a bunch of writers and um, there's people who work for teams um, on like the front office side and stuff like that. So, um, and getting to kind of peek behind the curtain has been really cool for me. And I've found uh, with the players, especially because the life of a touring musician and the life of a traveling ball player is so similar, you know, you're forced to uh, perform at your highest level every night Um you're away from friends and family, you're touring the country. Um, there are a lot of similarities. So just to have somebody to commiserate with um, and talk about the, the pressures and, you know, the ups and the downs um, has been really cool. And players will pick my brain about the music side and I'll pick their brain about the baseball side. And it's like a dream come true for me. And now you kind of have this clothing brand that it doesn't marry the two. It's not like, hey, here's some hardcore music and baseball, but your classic, classic grip brand, which, you know, people have seen me wearing those shirts. Uh, I actually, speaking of former players who I think, you you know, I, I have run into John Axford at a couple concerts recently, and I'm like terrified yeah. we're going to show up in the same shirt at some point. Uh, what was <laughs> what was the idea behind uh, starting Classic Grit and how's it all going so far? Uh, it's going great so far. We uh, we made the mistake of starting it uh, without knowing that a global pandemic was going to happen. So <laughs> that kind of threw a, a wrench into things as far as launching the brand goes. But um, the, the basic idea behind it was I've been a baseball fan since I was like five years old or four years old. And a majority of the baseball gear that I've bought, whether it's online or like in the team store, it fits a little weird. The blanks are weird. The artwork is like questionable at best. And I wanted to have stuff that I could wear to a show and also wear to the ballpark and not feel like I was out of place in either venue. Um, so we just tried to marry our love of music and our love of baseball and, um, and print everything on really nice blanks and have stuff be comfortable and, and fit well. And so far it's going well. Yeah, so far. Um, you know, I, I love the yeah. stuff. So keep up the great work, and thanks for sending what you sent uh, from Classic Grit. Thank you. Let's, Anytime. Let's talk about the baseball that's going down here in Toronto this week. And the Angels are here. I know you're an Angels guy. I, yeah. I know, if I'm remembering right, I think you guys, like, watched the Super Bowl at the Sky Dome or something one time because you were on tour here. But have you ever caught a Jays game here in Toronto? I have never seen a Jays game um, in Canada. Um, yeah, we did watch the Super Bowl with uh, Steve from Pup. Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. <laughs> so you don't have the uh, Toronto side of the experience, but you have the Angel side of the experience. And obviously a huge part of that experience the last five years has been Shohei Otani. 
Man, something new every time out. Do you have a favorite Otani moment or feat or experience, or is it more just like the fact that there's something new every time out? I think it's just the awe of the entire endeavor. Um, for a guy to pitch and hit at that level um, in the big, it's just bonkers. Um, and so getting to experience that, uh, having him wear laundry that I'm semi fond of <laughs> is, uh, is really cool. Um, I know that uh, a lot of East coasters have trouble watching angels games cause they're on late and stuff, but they're on TV every night at my house. Uh, whether I'm watching it with, uh, tears in my eyes or <laughs> with happiness cause a show is pitching. Um, so ahead of the trade deadline, there was at least some discussion that perhaps Shohei Otani could be dealt. I don't know how much of that was real and how much of that was just me and Drew Fairservice and, like you said, Steve from Pup just wishing it would happen. But on the Angels side, is there a fair amount of anxiety about Otani's long-term future there? Oh, for sure. I mean, they've been a a terrible team for... I don't know, the better part of a decade now. And he obviously wants to win. Who doesn't? And um, when he's a free agent, I, if I were him, I would go somewhere else. Um, so, I mean, the general consensus I'm getting from my angel friend, fan friends is that he's going to bail. Um, and the angels also have a lot of money tied up in Trout and Rendon and showing out another – I don't know what that contract's going to be, like half a billion plus. Um, just it doesn't seem like it's in the cards for, the, cards for the Angels. So we hear the news this week that the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, is exploring selling the team. That's something you actually, I think, wished into existence in that preseason thing with Spin Magazine um, where, you know, yeah. uh, you, you basically called the shot. Um, from the fan side, is this something that then feels like a positive, a, a change at the ownership level for this franchise? I think it's really all we have to hold on to right now. <laughs> um, a fish rots from the head down and, you know, he's, he's cycled through uh, general managers and nothing has really changed. And I'm, I mean, I could go on forever about the, the gripes I have with the way he's run the team over the years. Um so you've got to think that it's a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, owners are not the, the most savory bunch of humans. <laughs> um, but you got to hope that somebody's going to come in who's going to have a clearer plan and maybe let the baseball people do the baseball things and just be the owner and provide money so that those baseball people can do baseball things. Um, he's, just, he's a very meddlesome owner and, uh, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. They've been really bad for a while. Yeah, well, Mike Trout has 1,373 career regular season games, three career postseason games, so that's uh, that's about as big an indictment yeah. on, like you said, fish rots from the head down. Um, now, normally, I would say, like, my baseball fan brain is like, well, if you have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, that's a huge part of the sales pitch if someone's trying to buy your franchise and then we see Juan Soto get dealt and we hear well yeah it's easier to sell a franchise with a clean balance sheet than a generational talent um how how much are then you hoping that 
gosh, whoever buys the Angels better be a big baseball fan and want to keep those guys rather than run it like a profit center. I would assume that Shohei is the by far the biggest marketing tool that the Angels have. And I hate to refer to a human being as a marketing tool, <laughs> but it's true. Um, the amount of money they probably make from you know, advertising and whatever else um, due to him being in an Angels uniform is, is massive. So if you're an owner and you're buying the team, I think it would be essential that uh, that you lock him up. But like I said before, he's got a ticket to ride wherever he wants to. So uh, if I were him, I'd bail. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one, and, and you know uh, we've already had texts in the text line during the show of you know uh, Saturday is the celebration, the 30th anniversary celebration of the 1992 World Series champion Blue Jays. It's going to be a sellout because it's I mean because of that because it's a Saturday in the summer because it's Manoa against Otani, uh, pretty good sales pitch. I guess on the note of 1992 Jays, you want to remember some guys quickly, do some guy remembering, or is that uh, something you left in the productive votes past? No, no. I, I always am down to, to remember some guys. Uh, well, who, who, who do you got here? Well, D- Devon White was, do you go back as far as California Angels in your fandom, or is that going a little too early? No, I do. I do. I go back to, I'm old. So uh, <laughs> my fandom started like around... 1980, I want to say. Okay. 79 or 80. Yeah. Nice. Well, Devon White. He was one of my favorite players. And he'll uh, he'll be here on Saturday. Um, where does I, I know you said you watch Otani every time out, no matter what. But when you when it comes to games, you can get really fired up for um, for the Angels this year. A pitching matchup like Alec Manoa. How how high does that grade out for you? Oh, it's nothing. And. As my Angels fandom has waned and I've learned that it's uh, it's really not a bad thing to root for guys in other uniforms. Right. Um, Manoa is definitely up there on the list. Like, now that uh, MLB TV is, is a thing and you can watch any game at any time, basically, unless there's a stupid blackout, <laughs> um, there's no reason not to watch the best players in the game play the greatest game on earth. So um, I'll tune into Manoa starts. Um, love watching Julio Rodriguez. Um, I mean, there's a, a laundry list of guys that I enjoy watching, but I'm not going to waste your time <laughs> going through all of them. Julio Rodriguez, who got mega paid today. We're going to talk to uh, Meg Rowley of Fangraphs about that in a little bit. Um, Riley, help us tee up this series a little bit. Uh, the Angels, obviously very top-heavy with Trout and Otani. Uh, Taylor Ward being the only other guy who's really noticeably above average. And I don't want to kick you when you're down, but the latest MLB pipeline uh, farm system ranking has them 30th. How much is hanging on... Joe Adele and maybe even to a higher extent tonight's starter Reed Detmers as man, these are the only young guys who look like kind of anything close to blue chippers who are coming to support in the near future. Yeah, there's, there's not really a lot of hope on the horizon. I don't know. It's 30 bad out of 30 teams. Is it's, that a bad, it's uh, not great. Bad <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, part of the gripe I have with the angels is that there's just no real plan. There's no, um, 
there's no like feeder system from the, the minor league team. They spend poorly. Um, so when it comes to guys like Adele and Detmers, like you hope they pan out, but the, the track record they've got uh, since they let uh, Eddie Bain go as the scouting director, um, guys just don't pan out here. And I don't know if it's like a, a development thing or poor drafting or a combo of both, but it never seems to work out. And, you know, you see guys figure it out somewhere else, even a guy like Andrew Haney who was totally broken with the Angels, broken with the Yankees, and now he's on the Dodgers and he's punching out 10 guys to start and has an ERA in the two. And the Angels just don't do that. They never find guys. Yeah, that's a that's a tough way to be when you're always, you know, you're the you're the contract that the guy cashes in to get and you're not the you're not the low cost one, you're not the flyer that works out. Um Reed Detmers does look pretty solid though. Obviously he had the no hitter earlier in the year, still just twenty three. Um what have you liked from him so far when you've gotten the chance to watch him? Um I like his poise. Um he seems like a pretty even keeled guy. He's not like fiery, nor does he totally go in the tank when stuff starts to fall apart. And I think when you're on a team like the Angels, it's really important to have a level head. Um, His stuff is good. I'd probably project him as like a middle of the rotation starter, which is the Angels have been built on like number fours and number fives. So if I I can get a three out of him, uh, that would be great. (laughs) Uh, that's great. Um, Riley, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Can't say enough good things about, I mean, you know, you, you can't say enough good things about Thrice and Lessard and Puig Destroyer, uh, but also Classic Greg. Keep up all the great work across just about every way to do it right now. Uh, thank you very much. My pleasure being on. And uh, enjoy the series this weekend. Enjoy Shohei as long as you can. Thank you. You too. I smell a Blue Jays sweet, by the way. Wouldn't be bad. Seven of eight for the Jays right now. So uh, we'll see. We, we'd love that. Uh, Riley Breckenridge, thanks so much, man. That was Riley Breckenridge, the drummer for Thrice, also a member of Less Art and Puig Destroyer, formerly of Productive Outs. And uh, he's got that clothing brand, Classic Grit, which uh, is great. And not just because he sent me some stuff. It's cool. It's nice, like he said. It's nice to have sports gear that you can wear elsewhere and it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb it's always been my issue with uh you know you like to support a a wrestler here and there and then it looks like you're wearing uh i don't know some frankenstein of a ed hardy t-shirt instead so you don't have to run into that with classic red i got mlb network on in the studio right now and they keep showing replays of that matt chapman double play from last night what a beauty we're gonna talk to med who we're going to talk to Meg Rowley in a little bit. She's the managing editor of Fangraphs and co-host of the Effectively Wild podcast. Um, we don't have lineups quite yet. We do know George Springer is in at DH, and he'll be at the top of the lineup. Alejandro Kirk gets the start at catcher. And Whit Merrifield's getting the day in center field. Uh, that all comes via our pal Ben Nicholson-Smith, complete with a handsome new profile picture on Twitter. But we don't have the full lineup yet. He declined to tweet it out and it's not updated yet the angels haven't uh revealed theirs either so we don't know if uh we're getting the shohei appearance or if he's taking the day off the day before his start what we do know is that tonight's pitching matchup is reed detmers against mitch white 
talked to Riley about it a little bit. But Reed Detmers is interesting. 23-year-old lefty. He was the number one prospect in the system and a top 50 prospect overall heading into this year. Threw a no-hitter in May. He's got a 366 ERA. 421 fielding independent pitching, 418 expected ERA. So component metrics to say he's about a four or a little, little higher than four guy. But it's not bad. And if you look at his 366 ERA, that's that's within kind of rounding error of what's expected. 23% strikeout rate, 9% walk rate. He does allow a fair amount of fly balls, uh, which you won't get away with as well at Rogers Center. Some of the stat guest stuff is pretty, not negative about him, but he's he kind of profiles as just a guy right now, which if we're being honest, if you're a 23-year-old prospect, being just a guy already isn't the worst thing in the world. Not everyone comes through the gate like Alec Manoa. He's in the, Detmers is in the 53rd percentile for strikeout rate, but otherwise all of his stat cast metrics in terms of batted ball and swing and miss and chase and things like that uh, are all a little below average. The breaking stuff is not below average. He was well known for the curveball on his way up. Throws it about 20% of the time. Huge velocity separation from the rest of his pitches. That comes in at 73 miles an hour. He throws his change in his slider in the mid-80s and his fastball around 93. So a 73-mile-an-hour curveball, um, if it's a day where he's tunneling that well, that's a huge drop, uh, and it's a well-regarded pitch. He throws it all over the play, all over the strike zone as well. Um, 204 batting average against. And in terms of expected weighted on base average, the stat cast metric that looks at swing and miss, and if you hit the plate and what the contact is, sub 300. So that's a very good pitch. His slider, which I mentioned, comes in the mid-80s. He works that in against right-handers, but he'll throw it against lefties too. That has a 184 batting average against. Um, Not the best swing and miss rate as far as sliders go, but guys have really had trouble squaring it up for contact. So if he has two elite breaking pitches, what are you looking for for a guy who has had average results then? Well, his fastball comes in around 93. It's up in the zone a lot. It's not one of those high spin rate fastballs that that has that kind of rising feel to it. And opponents have teed off on it pretty well. Um, the results aren't terrible, terrible. But when you look at some of the stack cast numbers underneath, guys hit that fastball pretty hard. He also has a changeup that comes in about nine miles an hour less. He'll only throw it to righties, which, you know, that makes sense considering uh, he's facing probably all righties tonight in the Blue Jays. Um, That one has a 26% swing and miss rate, which is pretty good for a changeup, but batters have hammered it again. So the fastball and the changeup are what you're looking for for hard contact. The slider and the curveball you're going to have a little bit more trouble with. How well you can pick up fastball or off speed versus breaking is going to be the key to this one for the Jays. Um, Detmers has only faced the Jays for seven plate appearances. He's never actually faced the Toronto Blue Jays, um, but Jackie Bradley Jr. and Matt Chapman are both 0 for 2 against him. Whit Merrifield's 1 for 3. Now, one thing working in the Jays' favor here, Reed Detmers has been very, very hard on lefties. But he has noticeable platoon splits. So righties have had an okay time. And I know for a while there we were tracking the fact that the Jays were kind of a reverse splits team. They're still a little bit better against righties than lefties, but their numbers against lefties have come up. They're they're 
basically split neutral at this point, which for a team that skews very right-handed heavy is more positive that like, it's more positive that they hit righty so well as a right-handed heavy team. than it is a negative that they quote unquote, only have a 114 WRC plus against lefties. So uh, about 14% above league average against lefties, about 17% above league average against righties. They're in a pretty good spot. The number three offense overall, uh, when you blend those two together. Here's how the Jays line up. We do have a lineup now. George Springer at the top at DH, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman. So again, your top seven, that's going to be pretty locked in unless Kirk's getting an off day is there. Whit Merrifield gets the nod in center. Santiago Espinal at second base hitting ninth. So it's an all righty lineup. Your bench is Tapia, Jackie Bradley Jr., Kevin Biggio, and Danny Jansen. So you've got some pinch hit options there or, or fielding replacement options. Um, this is pick your center fielder, but while Springer is on the DH only duty, this is probably your A lineup. The Jays also come in with Mitch White on the hill. We'll tee up the Mitch White side of things when we have an Angels lineup in our next segment. Uh, but something to keep an eye on here. The Jays haven't made a roster move yet. It's possible they do, though, because the bullpen is pretty fired. Uh, I was going to say fired up. Jordan Romano was fired up last night. I'm introducing a clip before I get there. Um, Jordan Romano has pitched two days in a row. Jimmy Garcia threw 26 pitches two days ago. Uh, Anthony Bass and Tim Mesa have pitched on consecutive days, as has Adam Simber and, and Trevor Richards threw a ton of pitches. So the bullpen's a little thinned out. I don't think they're going to task Jordan Romano with a third consecutive day um, after throwing 43 pitches over the last two. Worth revisiting just quickly, though, uh, Jordan Romano from last night's game. Uh, this was after, again, he loads the bases with nobody out. He gets out of it in the ninth inning. That's the first time anyone in baseball has done that in the ninth inning or later uh, of all this year and still sounded pretty high energy after he locked down the game in the 10th. The bases loaded situation. What are you telling yourself in that spot? You know what? Yeah, it's like uh, even it was second and third and, you know, uh, intentional walk. And I just thought, like, like, don't stop competing. You know, like, no matter what, just don't stop competing. Just leave it out there and whatever happens, happens. Like, I was okay giving up a hit. I was okay giving up a homer, but, like, I was not going to stop competing. What does that mean? You know what? That's just... Um, Honestly, for me, it's just like letting go of the outcome, and it's just like it's honestly just giving all I got, like not caring what happened, just like doing the best I can, if that makes sense. Jordan, yeah. when you're walking back out for the tenth. I mean, you knew it was going to be yours with the lead. What are you telling yourself in that moment? You know, you're walking out there. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, let's finish the job. Like, keep competing. It's not done. I kind of tried to erase what happened in the last inning, you know, because it was a lot of adrenaline, and it's really nice Chapman making that play, getting out of there. But yeah, just stay focused. We got three more hitters coming up, and like, let's win a game. Going in the Yankees, uh, and, and now here, it's like we can hang with anyone. You know what I mean? We came into their spot, and uh, yeah, won a bunch of games. So I think it was a, a huge road, road trip, uh, good for the morale, and just like letting us know, like we're for real. That was Jordan Romano last night. Uh, just go out there and compete. We're gonna do that for one more segment before it's the weekend because it's Friday. Hope you're having a good one. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna talk to Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. And we're going to tee up this game a little bit more. Take a look at Mitch White. Take a look at the Angels lineup. Uh, oh, three 
Los Angeles Angels on the restricted list. This comes from Sam Bloom of The Athletic. Taylor Ward, the one of only three good Los Angeles Angels position players, not here. And two old friends, Aaron Loop and Ryan Tapera, on the restricted list for this one. Not here. We're also expecting three or four Cubs to not be here early next week per their general manager, Jed Hoyer. So let's take a break. Let's talk to Meg Bradley. Let's tee up this game. Let's keep the Friday rolling. All that's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That's Los Angeles Angels and Airwaves. Song called Paper Thin. Like their lineup when you get past Mike Trout and Shohei Otani, who are both in there, by the way. I will get to that lineup in just a minute. But first, we're joined by one of my favorites, uh, managing editor at Fangraphs, co-host of Effectively Wild Podcast, Meg Rowley. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And we lined this up ahead of time, but what a day. We could talk about Julio Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that folks are probably keen to hear about the Blue Jays, but if you want to spend 15 minutes on Julio Forever Mariner, we can do that too. <laughs> well, we can spend at least a minute or two on it because it is anytime a young player who's still controllable gets locked up, it is Jays relevant because the Jays have three of them, maybe even more. Yes, this is starting to um, develop a blueprint for potential extensions for for your guys. But yeah, it, it's the it's a complex deal, complex to the point that I think we'd have to spend some time reading Jeff Passan's uh, Twitter timeline to really bring the full <laughs> details to folks. But the top line here is that Julio has guaranteed himself a minimum of $210 million. The first part of this deal is over eight years. He can be a Mariner into the 2030s. I shudder to think what my age will be <laughs> when Julio is done with this deal. I think he will be younger than I am now when it comes to completion, which just goes to show how young he is is at this particular moment, but it's very exciting for Mariners fan. This is the kind of move that you make when you are ready to say we are here, we're going to contend, we want to play October baseball. And while the the top line numbers here are kind of eye-popping, if he maxes out, he can make as much as $470 million over the course of the contract. The year-to-year is actually pretty reasonable for Seattle, so this shouldn't preclude them from continuing to add in the offseason and really hopefully turning a corner as a franchise. And as Jays fans know, uh, the Mariners right around them in the standing, so they're not a team that's that's too far off after this long yeah. playoff row. They make them push in for, for Luis Castillo. Um, one of the things I, I'm fascinated about by this deal, and it's probably not applicable to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Bo Bichette, who are, you know, Bo will enter arbitration this sure. this offseason. Vlad's already deeper into it. But this kind of structure for a low service time guy where there's a pretty nice downside guarantee and then this high upside framework. And like you said, to get into all the details isn't isn't necessary here really and would take too long. But um, do you think that we could see this structure be a little bit more common where guys lock in a certain amount, but the team has at least that little bit of, I guess, downside protection? 
I mean, I think teams would love to see deals like yes. this, which <laughs> which sounds wild to say about a contract that is guaranteeing such a high amount. But, you know, not only are you locking in the services of a guy like Rodriguez at what I think we can safely consider to be below what his market rate would be if the 29 other teams could bid on him, you have cost certainty around one of your best players. And when you think about franchises that, you know, are excellent year in and year out, I think being able to forecast what their payroll is going to be years into the future, know what their best players are going to be making and know exactly how much they're going to have to play with from an ownership budget perspective is underrated in terms of their ability to build competitive rosters. So it takes it takes the right combination of circumstances for something like this to come together, right? We've seen players who are incredibly talented and you know, look at the ability to hit the free market in a couple of years and say, that's too important to me, right? We just went through this whole saga with Juan Soto in Washington, where he said, I'm, I'm going to test free agency. I know that I want to do that. Um, so it takes a player who's willing to do that. It takes a player who a franchise feels sufficiently confident will be good for a really long time. You know, if every team had a Julio Rodriguez <laughs> or a Wander Franco, who might be a more um, direct comp than, than Soto in terms of the structure of the deal and sort of the, um, the timing of an extension, well, then, you know, they'd be super happy about that. They don't all have players of that caliber um, where they're willing to assume, you know, a certain amount of risk that things don't pan out or a player gets injured um, and also have a player who's willing to, to play ball. It seems like a, a win for everyone involved, right? Seattle gets one of the best players um, that they've had come through their farm system in a long, long time, locked up long-term. Julio clearly wants to win and wants to win in Seattle. He's going to get paid a lot of money to do that. I imagine that when it's all said and done, he will realize something around at least $350 million. And hopefully for Seattle fans, this is, like I said, sort of the, the dawning of a new era for Seattle baseball. So in terms of, you know, this being a precedent or a comparison, again, it's not a, a perfect comparison to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette, mm-hmm. maybe a little more, cl- maybe a little closer to to an Alec Manoa. And, and obviously pitchers carry a little bit more risk. We also sure. saw the Michael Harris deal uh, not too long ago. Um with guys like Vlad and Bo who have a couple more years under their belt or a little closer to arbitration or free agency, do you think those deals are just a little harder to work out in season? Like, like there's, yeah. I, I don't think there's um, worry, but at least every time one of these deals happens, you know, Jays fans are a little bit like, well, when's it going to happen for Vlad and Bo? Just one of those things that it, it, it's an easier thing to attack and sit down with in an off season. Yeah, I think that that's right. You know, as you have guys getting close to or into arbitration, you know, when you're talking about a player, certainly of of Vlad's caliber, you know, arbitration isn't as lucrative as free agency, but guys can make really good money going through the art process. And if you're a player who thinks you're going to be competing for MVP votes every year, your incentives to sign a deal like this, particularly as the clock ticks down and you get closer to hitting free agency, really start to go down. I think for a player like Bo, you know, you're more likely to see it. He's a little further away. You know, the the case hasn't been made that he is um, quite as good as Vlad, which I don't say as a knock on hmm. Bo. I just say it because, you know, how many Vlads are there? Not many, right? Um, but, you know, you, I think there's a, a greater likelihood of it, but I think a lot of guys are willing to kind of go year to year and look at 
arbitration as you know an opportunity to make significantly more than the league minimum and then set themselves up to be choosy once free agency hits and we do know that there are guys who kind of see it as you know part of their obligation to future generations of players to go through the arbitration process and set precedents in that process for uh, guys to make more money later. So there's a lot that can go into that decision. And obviously who you're represented by has something to do with it, sort of what you view the long-term trajectory of the team to be, your own sense of what your market's going to be. But I think that when, you know, w- when you're a little more established um, and and maybe there are other players on your team who sort of fit that same mold, it, it complicates that in-season picture, which doesn't mean it can't happen during the off-season. But, you know, there's not, there's not really anyone else on Seattle's roster who Seattle was going to give this deal to. I think that simplifies the negotiation process as well because there's only the one Julio, right? Whereas <laughs> Toronto has this great problem of having multiple really young stars who they, you know, I imagine would like to see locked up long term. So let's take the contracts out of it. I, I'm curious as to your take on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and, and Boba Shed in general, where both of them had what at this point would stand as career years last season. And they've both taken small steps back this year. Bobachet not grading out super well, depending on which defensive metric you like. And he's having yeah. his worst year at the plate. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. still very good, but not MVP candidate level good this year at the plate. Um, with younger players like that, do you tend to look at that as, huh, maybe their ceiling wasn't quite as high as I thought? Or is that more of a, and it doesn't have to be an either or thing, but you know, you look and it's like, well, those guys are having down years and this is what the floor looks like. And they're still pretty good. Do, do you have a lean in general on, you know, a guy in a, in his fourth season, say, uh, having a small step back? Uh, I think it does depend on the player, but generally I, I tend to take the approach unless there's been, um, an injury that really dramatically changes sort of the, um, long-term defensive viability of a player. Um, or we have seen a dramatic adjustment, um, in the way that they're attacking things at the plate that, that might suggest that they have gotten off kilter. I tend to look at it as here's what the floor is for these guys. Right. Um, I think that when you look at someone like Guerrero and his second half numbers are better than his first half numbers were, we've seen stretches from him in the past where things haven't quite clicked the way that they did in a year that, but for Otani, he probably would have won an MVP. Right. Um, but I, I'm not, I'm just not, worried about it. You know, I think that when, when we were looking at him as a prospect and you were thinking about, you know, what are the paths to sort of a downside scenario for Guerrero? It was not being able to keep the body in check. Um, and that can sort of pushing him even further down the defensive spectrum, but the bat was never really a concern, right? I think that when Eric Longenhagen wrote about him as a prospect, he described his bat as messianic, which I think (laughs) was appropriate, right? When everything is clicking for him, there are very few hitters in baseball you'd rather have at the plate in, you know, a big moment. I think for Bichette, it's a little more complicated. You know, you're right that the, the defensive metrics have been kind of variable on him. I think that outs above average has liked him a little bit more. He's so bat speed dependent that there is going to be, you know, swing and miss in that game. I know he's striking out 25% of the time, only walking five, but that bat speed is incredible. And when it can work, you know, he can have a year like last year. So I, I know that especially in a division like the AL East where it's so competitive and every little edge feels like it matters a lot, I think there can be an understandable sort of instinct to overreact to these things. But I I think that 
it's it's going to be fine. I think those guys are are going to be just fine. It's just going to be a matter of every player having ups and downs. I think that a lot of baseball players are just streakier than we tend to think of them as being. And so I think there's probably just some of that. And luckily, you know, there have been other contributors in the lineup who've been able to pick up some of the slack. So. Okay. I have to ask you a deep nerdy, not even nerdy, just like a deep Blue Jays stack question. So I'm reading these quotes from last night about Kevin Gosman feeling a little unlucky because he's given up soft contact and getting bled for singles here and there. That has been the story of his season. He's carrying a 373 batting average on balls in play right now. Uh, If the Fangraphs leaderboards are accurate, which of course they are, the last <laughs> time you. someone finished a season with 125 innings pitched and a BABIP that high was 1894. Wow. Um, yeah, it, you got to go back. <laughs> you got to go way, way, way back. Um, I, I know we're running out of time for that to regress this season, but what do you what do you even make of, of just such an outlier season in that regard? And I mean, you look at you can bring up that leaderboard, and there is no one who can even sniff Kevin Gosman's three fifteen ERA. Like nobody survives a Babbitt like that. Um, right. I, I guess I, I don't even know where I'm going with this question. I just you, you know when you when you see it laid out like that, what do you think of of Gosman's season? I well, I imagine that it has to be very frustrating yes. for him. If you look at the gap, and I don't know if he's uh, leading the league in this. You know, you mentioned he has a three fifteen ERA. He has a two oh one FIP, and what FIP tries to do for your listeners who maybe have um, a healthier relationship with math than I do, it's trying to isolate the stuff that is in the pitcher's control, right? So, you know trying to separate the pitcher's performance and contribution from the defense behind him for the most part. Um, and so I, I guess like, you know, I watch the blue Jays. I don't watch them every day. Is he just getting incredibly unlucky to your eye in terms of, like you said, bleeders getting through and guys just getting on base because, you know, he's, by by our version of war, I think he's the the first or second. Um, he's he's second only to Carlos Rondon in terms of no, he's tied with Carlos Rondon. Excuse mm-hmm. me, in terms of our version of war, you know he is leading um, the American League in terms of pitching war for a starter. Uh, he's you know he's ahead of Justin Verlander, who I think has had his own weird Babbitt book this yeah. year. But um, you know it's the kind of thing where I. I imagine that he probably gets gifts from infielders in the clubhouse for not being able to get to some balls. But, you know, if you're looking at a guy, if you're thinking ahead to October and you're trying to decide, like, do I need to be worried about this? I mean, like, you look at this and you're like, Kevin Gausman's a great uh, pitcher. He's a great starter. He's just having a little bit of bad luck yeah. here. And he's been a great starter even with the bad luck. So so right. what is the upside? Um, Meg, I, I want to ask you before I let you go, I know it's later on a Friday, but you've been – the managing editor of Fangraphs for I think five five six years now. Um, you guys launch a new app this week, and for yeah. anyone who hasn't checked it out yet or, or has, um, Fangraphs is soliciting user feedback in terms of what yes. should be the next steps for the app. Um, how big a step is this? Is this for you guys, and how cool is it for you to see this project get to this level? Well, I I would be remiss if I didn't point to Sean Dolinar, who's our lead developer, and then David Appleman, who's the CEO of Fangraphs. They really led the effort in terms of 
building the app. Um, some of your listeners who maybe have followed Fangrass for a while might remember that we actually had an, an app a long, long time ago and it wasn't super functional. What we're trying to do here is you know, account for the scenarios where you might be out in the world and wonder something about baseball and just have your phone with you and not have access to a computer. So maybe you're sitting at a ballpark and you're, you see a reliever come in who you're unfamiliar with on the other team and you want to know how that guy's season's going, or you're out at a bar with friends and you want to settle an argument about who's having a better season or what the playoff odds of the Blue Jays are. Hmm. This first iteration of the app is trying to answer those questions. So you have access to our player pages, to our standings and playoff odds and then um, everything that's associated with our scores page. So win probability, lineups, you know, game log, that sort of thing. You're right to say that where the app goes next is going to be driven largely by the feedback of our readers. So, you know, we know that everyone wants to be able to look at leaderboards. If you looked at leaderboards at Fangraphs, you know how dense with information they are. So that's its own challenge. But, you know, we want to bring leaderboards to the app. We want people to be able to read all of the work that we write every day on the app. We want people to be able to engage with our prospect content and roster resource on the app. So it's really exciting. My my hope, my dream is that I'll be at a ballpark and look over someone's shoulder and they'll be looking up something relevant to that game's action on the app. Um, but we just want to make information as easy to access as possible and as digestible as it can be. And what that looks like is going to depend a lot on what our readers tell us. So if you're a Fangraphs reader and there's something that you don't see in the app and you think would be useful, you know, please let us know because we really want it to be something that people actually get use out of. I think we all have apps on our phones that we've downloaded and haven't looked at since we've done that. We don't want that to be the case for this. So if you have ideas for what you'd like to see, please let us know. So that's great. And, you know, we use things like WRC plus or, or FIP or XERA on here on this show a lot. So um, people can check that out. There are also great uh, explainers at Fangrass if I ever don't do a good job explaining uh, <laughs> things like that or leverage index. Uh, Meg, so that's a big highlight. I, I have to ask before I let you go, um, is the biggest low light or regret of your time at Fangrass that we just missed each other there by not very long? Oh, absolutely. I mean, clearly, that's that's the only thing that I really regret. <laughs> um, Meg Rowley, Managing Editor at Fangraphs, co-host of Effectively Wild Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Thanks for having me. It's Meg Rowley. Make sure you check out the Fangraphs app. Uh, it's great. Obviously, we, use, we lean on Fangraphs uh, plenty here on Jay's Talk Plus. We got five minutes. Let's give you the Angels lineup that Mitch White will face. It's David Fletcher, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Luis Renjifo, Mike Ford, Matt Theis, Joe Adele, Ryan Aguiar, and Andrew Velasquez. That is six left-handed hitters or switch hitters in the lineup against Mitch White. Maybe that's just who the Angels have available because in addition to old friends Aaron Loop and Ryan Tapara, uh, Taylor Ward is not here. Those three are on the restricted list. If they're stacking lefties against Mitch White, I'm not sure that's the way to go. Mitch White's been split neutral in his career. Uh, he's coming in with a 363 ERA, a 338 ERA since joining the Jays, uh, 10 strikeouts and four walks over 13 innings, a little bit of ball and play misfortune in the field, but he also hasn't allowed a home run. So that probably comes out in the wash. He has been very good on the year in terms of limiting hard hit balls as a 
lower barrel rate, a lower exit velocity. Um, those are all good indicators. Just doesn't miss enough bats at this stage. Uh, you're going to see fastball slider, curveball. He's working on a sinker. He'll throw the odd change up to lefties. Uh, so you'll see that a lot more today, actually, the change up with, with six guys hitting from the left side. Uh, he has only faced the Angels for six plate appearances uh, back when he was in a relief role for the Dodgers. Otani had allowed out. Taylor Ward had a hit but Taylor Ward's not playing today. Uh, if you missed it earlier, the Jays are going with the, what I, depending on how you feel about center field, I think is the A lineup up against Reed Detmers. Detmers is a lefty, by the way, pretty split heavy, and the Jays are going with nine righties. And again, I mentioned it earlier, the Jays have kind of rounded out of that funk they were in against left-handed pitching. They, they've hit them pretty well lately. So it'll go George Springer at the top, designated hitter. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Lourdes Gurriel Jr., Alejandro Kirk, Teoscar Hernandez, Bo Bichette, Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield gets a nod in center field, Santiago Espinal rounding it out at second base. Should be a fun one. Mitch White against Reed Detmers. Obviously, the marquee, the main event of the weekend is tomorrow, Alec Manoa against Shohei Otani. Bomber giveaway day, sellout, Saturday in the middle of a Toronto summer, 30th anniversary of the 1992 World Series championship team. What a weekend. And then it's going to be Russ Stripling against, no disrespect, Tucker Davidson, but hardly a good uh, dark match to send the the crowd home happy uh, following that big, big main event. If you're looking for more Jays content this weekend, by the way, uh, Show Ali will have Jays talk for you post-game tonight. He'll also have an hour-long pregame ahead of that celebration of the 30th anniversary of the 1992 World Series team tomorrow. So you can check that out on the Sportsnet Radio Network at 2. Ben Wagner and Caleb Joseph on the call for you for every game this weekend. Fan drive time's coming up in just a minute here. Uh, scheduling note that... I will be in that slot next week. So if you're looking for Jay's Talk Plus next week, we're going five to seven instead of three to five, which I love because the Jays have three 7 p.m. home games, which means one, two, three days in a row where I get to do the show from down at Rogers Center. Uh, always looking forward to that with the Cubs in town. The Cubs, by the way, also expected to be missing a couple players uh, on the restricted list when they come here, though we don't know who yet. So... Mitch White, Reed Detmers, the Jays, something close to the A lineup. The Jays won seven of eight, building some insulation in the standings. Should be a good weekend. Should be, you you ask Angels fans, they're not super optimistic that uh, the Angels are going to be the team to, to slow the Jays down here. So we'll see how it goes. Obviously, you got to beat the teams in front of you. You don't play the games on spreadsheets as much as, uh, as detailed as my spreadsheets can get. You can't play the games on them. I want to say thank you to John Gibbons for coming on a little earlier, to Caleb Joseph as well, who, again, is on the broadcast all weekend on the radio side, to Riley Breckenridge of Thrice and Classic Grit for coming on, to Meg Rowley of Fangraphs. Uh, make sure you check out their new app. It's really good. Um, as I've joked, you can calculate win probability. You don't have to calculate win probability on your fingers at the game anymore. You could do it on the app. Uh, also, Thank you to producer J.R. Manitad, who's been out the last two days with his wisdom teeth getting out. Uh, hope you're feeling better, buddy. And it wasn't too bad. Uh, thank you to Armin Zagarian for filling in. 
to Tristan Marchigiani behind the glass. Also filling in. Everyone around me is on vacation. I got to get me some of that. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. This is going to be a blast. Uh, Otani Manoa tomorrow. Detmers White tonight. 30th anniversary celebration. Show Ali with special extra shows for you. Uh, hope you all just have a blast down at the park or wherever you're checking the Jays out from. We're back Monday at 5 o'clock on Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590, The Fan.